You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses, mom, rock and roll drummer, and photographer, among other things. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. This is April 18th, 2021, and this is episode 114 of Lighthearted, the podcast where we talk about all kinds of things related to lighthouses. We're going to Canada today, Quebec to be exact. Our guest will be Cindy LaRouche, who is the manager of the Pointe-au-Père National Historic Site. First, uh, what's happened in the state lighthouse history, Michelle? April 18th, 1906 was the date of the great San Francisco earthquake. The earthquake struck the coast of Northern California at 5.12 a.m., and the shaking was felt from Eureka on the north coast to the Salinas Valley south of the San Francisco Bay Area. More than 3,000 people died. Point Arena Lighthouse was badly damaged and was soon rebuilt using a new design that featured steel reinforcement rods encased in concrete. It was the first lighthouse to be built using that method. The lighthouse on Alcatraz Island in San Francisco Bay also had to be rebuilt after the earthquake. At Point Pinos Lighthouse, 100 miles south of San Francisco, Emily Fish, who was known as the socialite keeper, wrote in her logbook, quote, at 5.30 a.m., violent and continued earthquake shocks jarred the lens, causing it to bend the connecting tube and loosened the lens so it was unstable, unquote. In the weeks that followed, she recorded several smaller earthquakes including one on May 8th that she said jostled and rattled the lens. So let's move on to a happier subject and talk about the lighthouse we're focusing on today. Sure thing, Jeremy. Pointe-au-Père, near the mouth of the St. Lawrence River and about 160 miles northeast of Quebec City, is named after Father Henri Novel a Jesuit priest who celebrated the first mass there in 1663. For many years, river pilots helped incoming vessels to steer safely toward Quebec City. Pointe-au-Père, which juts out into the east side of the river, was used as a base for many river pilots as early as 1805. The Montreal Ocean Steamship Company established the first lighthouse in Foghorn on Pointe-au-Père in 1859. The government of Canada purchased the lighthouse two years later. After the original lighthouse was destroyed by fire, a new one was built in 1867. The first and second lighthouses were both wooden dwellings with lanterns on their roofs. The first fog signal at Pointe-au-Père was a cannon, which the keeper had to load with gunpowder and fire every half hour. The cannon was replaced by explosive bomb signals and then by a fog siren in 1903. A diaphone horn operating on compressed air was installed in 1904. In 1972, the diaphone was replaced by an electronic sound signal. Work on the third lighthouse of Pointe-au-Père began in 1909. The octagonal tower, 92 feet tall, is made of steel reinforced concrete. With its buttresses, the design was unusual for Canada. The only similar tower is at Estevan Point in British Columbia. A 1956 keeper's house still stands. A second dwelling from 1905 also remained standing. It was originally built for the fog alarm engineer, but it later became a second keeper's house. Its gambrel roof makes it the only surviving light station building of its kind in Canada. 
the lighthouse was replaced by an automated light on a skeleton tower in 1975. Soon after that, the light station property was transferred to Parks Canada. Today, the Pont-au-Père Lighthouse National Historic Site offers climbs to the top of the tower and exhibits in the former keeper's house. Cindy LaRouche is the manager of the Pointe-au-Père National Historic Site, and she also manages the Battle of the Restigouche National Historic Site. Before we listen to the interview, I need to explain something. Cindy LaRouche speaks excellent English, but the phone connection we had for the interview wasn't really the best. It might be a little hard to understand everything she says. Because of that, I've posted a transcript of the interview on the U.S. Lighthouse Society's news blog, at news, that's N-E-W-S, news.uslhs.org. That way you can follow along or you can read the transcript later if you missed anything that was said. Again, the transcript is posted at news.uslhs.org. Let's listen to my conversation with Cindy LaRouche now. I'm speaking today with Cindy LaRouche, who is the manager of the Pointe-au-Père National Historic Site in Quebec, Canada. And uh, we've covered lighthouses in Nova Scotia and British Columbia before on this podcast. But this is the first time we're focusing on one in Quebec. Thank you so much for joining me today, Cindy. Pleased to meet you. Likewise. Let's talk about the history of the lighthouse and so forth. But before we do that, I just want to ask you, uh, I'm kind of curious to know a little bit about what led you to being the manager of two historic sites in Quebec. Well, it was a happy coincidence that led me to become the visitor experience manager at two historic sites of Parks Canada. First of all, having a very great interest in travel, I first studied tourism and then I did a, a bachelor's degree in history at the University of Quebec in Rimouski. I have always been drawn to culture, art, education, and museum sector. And furthermore, I have worked in tourism and cultural development in various institutions in Gaspésie and the Lower St. Lawrence region. So when I saw that Parks Canada was looking to fill a position on its team, uh, I told myself, Cindy, you must apply right away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the job was a mix uh, of my interests and helped me to use my skills in many ways. I applied for my dream job and I got it. And I'm still here eight years later, um, managing two incredible national historic sites and, well, uh, doing my best to keep employees happy at work and visitors enjoy their visits. Yeah, well, that's great. You know, not everybody gets to find their dream job, so I'm happy that that worked out for you. That's, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So besides the, the lighthouse site, you also manage the Battle of the Restigouche uh, National Historic Site. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, this National Historic Site uh, highlights a very interesting but little-known event in the history of New France. Uh, it was the last naval battle that took place in the Restigouche River between the French and the British for the conquest of the North American territory. Uh, during this war in uh, 1760, the colony of New France was forced to ask for reinforcements from France, which sent, um, sent soldiers, ammunition, and food via a fleet of uh, six ships. Mm -hmm. In the end, uh, only three ships, including a frigate and two merchant ships, ended up in the Restigouche River to, to hide. Uh, they were eventually spotted by British ships, and, and a battle took place and resulted by the, the victory of the, the British fleet. And for more than 200 years, the, the remains of the different ships uh, remained underwater. But in the 70s, Parks Canada carried out um, 
archaeological excavations, which brought to the surface of several parts of the Meshaw ship, such, such as uh, an anchor, an anchor uh, a stern, a stern post. Today, visitors can view an exhibit about this novel history, um, which takes place in four rooms that have a vintage ship look, such uh, as a boardroom, a twin deck, and a cargo room. It's a, a very interesting site. Yeah, well, it sounds like it. I feel like I really need to to get up there and visit both the uh, the lighthouse and the the uh, historic yeah. site for the the battle yeah um, and I will I, I will I will come one of these days uh, so uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about the history of the light station uh, what makes uh, Pointe au Père so important for navigation on the St. Lawrence the Pointe au Père site overlooks the point where um, internal waters meet the open sea this, uh, this very particular geographic location made it one of Canada, Canada's main navigational aid stations for over a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, the collab station was in operation between uh, 1905 and 1959. Uh, and it's an interesting to know that four successive lighthouses were built on the side, uh, surrounded by sound signal and various outbuildings like um, a lighthouse keep. Stores house, uh, a foghorn shed, and uh, a pilot shelter. Uh, the site had also a Marconi telegraph office and a medical inspection service for ship traveling upriver. And um, finally, the station was also used as a testing ground for various sound navigation before use at other Canadian lighthouse stations. So I was reading that the, the first two lighthouses there were actually uh, keepers' dwellings with the lanterns on the roof. Why was it decided to make the third structure, the one that's there today, why did they make it so different than the others? At the time, um, reinforced concrete had just began to be used in engineering. Uh, reinforced concrete was chosen mainly because of its high-low capacity and fire resistance, in addition to being the, the most economical solution at the time. I was reading about the history of the fog signals there also, which is very interesting. By my count, there were at least five different types of fog signals used there over the years. Uh, maybe you could say a little bit about that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, whenever weather condition uh, reduced visibility at sea, uh, the lighthouse keeper had to replace the usual visual signal by a sound signal. Uh, the Portopa lighthouse played an important role in testing different types of sound signal, which were subsequently implemented in other Canadian lighthouses. Uh, as you said, there were five different signals used uh, at Pointe au the, the first was the fog cannon. The sound was produced by a cannon, uh, which the keeper had to load with gunpowder and fire every half hour. The fog cannon had its failing because it sound too last for such a, a short time. Pilots could miss it uh, if not paying attention. Uh, this gave rise to many complaints from captain and pilots since uh, a single detonation every half hour was not enough to allow them to navigate safely through fog. After the cannon signal was replaced by um, an explosive bomb signal. Mm-hmm. The signal was now made using uh, explosive firecrackers. The lightkeeper would light the firecrackers at 20-minute intervals to to guide navigators, and the explosion took place on a crane, um, a long pole, on top of the building sheltering the cannon. Uh, however, like the cannon, the system required the use of explosive and was also dangerous to use. Um, and by the time the navigation season opened in spring 1903, the explosive signal uh, made way for the sirens. This whistle uh, used compressed air and went off when the air passed through um, a rotating cylinder. 
Mm-hmm. He made a high note and then a low note for two and a half seconds apart every two minutes. And after that, a little later, a professor at the University of Toronto invented the diaphone by uh, making changes to the siren. And finally, um, as part of Transport Canada effort to automate navigational aids, the, the diaphone at Pointe Par was um, decommissioned. In 1972, and the system was replaced by an electronic sound signal. Uh, mm-hmm. It means that a visibility reader activates the audible signal as soon as there was too much mist, and the electronic sound signal was used until the the Pointe-aux-Pas Navigational Aid Center closed in uh, 19, 1997. Mm-hmm. That's uh, quite a history there. I was in England a couple of years ago and got to hear a, a diaphone horn uh, that's still operating at the Souter Lighthouse in England, and it's very impressive. Oh, wow. It's so so loud, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, but um, oh, you're lucky. You can uh, hear that online. There are YouTube videos. It's the Souter S O U T E R Lighthouse in in England. So, uh, if we could touch on the human history a little bit, are there any particular stories of the keepers and families at Pointe-au-Père that you find uh, especially interesting? Uh, yes, there are several interesting stories um, about lighthouse keepers at Pointe-au-Père. Several keepers have been witnessed great and tragic events as the, the Two World War and the, the sinking of the Empress of Ireland. It should be mentioned first that Keepers' work involved many dangers. Although it did not happen at Pointe-au-Père, some even lost their lives while on duty. The keeper always had to be careful, vigilant, and resourceful. From 1911 to 1936, uh, John Cahill, John Wyatt, and his son Robert succeeded each other at Pointe Palace House. After the First, war, uh, First World War, the keeper's job uh, become more demanding as he became responsible for the sound signal, uh, a very demanding job for both uh, the keeper and his assistant. Charles-Auguste Lavoie managed the Pointe-au-Pas Lighthouse between 1936 and 1964, and he left several testimonies that describe the complexity of the work on the light station. Um, For example, he relates that the day started at midnight and ended at midnight. With his assistant, he he would work by rotation six hours at a time because they always had to be on the job. Uh, then there was uh, the maintenance to do on the station, so the grounds, the buildings, painting, uh, repairing uh, leaky roofs and uh, replacing windows. You relate how it was not easy to install a window that weighed between 40 and 50 pounds, uh, 100 feet from the ground with the wind blowing. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> An interesting fact to know is that the, the role of Puerto Palais housekeepers changed during the Second World War with the introduction of a curfew in 1942 uh, to deal with the incursion of German submarines into the river. So they had to uh, monitoring, this new monitoring role complicated the, the keepers already overload schedule because he had now to uh, conduct aerial surveillance. Hmm. At the at the designated time at Point Opa, it was at um, 3, 6 and 11 in the morning. They received a code that transmitted over the radio and they had to conceal it. So after that, there were three other lighthouse keepers on the side. And the, the last one, Mr. Uh, Armand Lafrance, took over in 1972. And as he was close to retirement, he was not replaced when the, 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 the first lighthouse 
placed at the top uh, of a skeleton tower, came into operation about three years later. Uh, Mr. Lavoie lived in the keeper's house with his family until um, 1988. I was curious, during World War II in this country, uh, almost all the lighthouses on the East Coast uh, were dimmed, were actually turned off during during the war, uh, so they wouldn't yeah. uh, help attract uh, enemy vessels. Was that the case on the East Coast of Canada as well? Yeah, it was the case. Uh, so that uh, the lighthouse was was turned uh, down, and they they just had to do a job of, of uh, surveillance. Mm-hmm. Right, just keeping an eye out. So I'm wondering if there was uh, U-boat activity, any uh, enemy uh, submarines, things like that during the war? Yeah, they came into the St. Lawrence River trying to uh, to go upriver. They stopped them at, uh, ew, I don't remember the name, I, I guess it's uh, Cloridorm in Gaspésie. They didn't went to, to Pointe-au-Pierre. People don't know about that. People don't realize how, how much of a danger no. that was. Yeah. Okay, if we could move uh, forward to uh, more recent years and the, the present day, if uh, somebody visits the uh, the Pointe au Père uh, National Historic Site and the lighthouse, and before I complete that question, I know that things have been different recently with the pandemic, but in, in normal times, uh, what can people expect when they visit there? Can they climb the lighthouse when they go there? Uh, during a normal operating season, visitors can climb uh, 128 steps of the lighthouse with a guide to uh, admire a splendid 360-degree landscape. Um, and as you said, our, <laughs> our 2021 season should be launched in June, but we have to, to wait a little longer before announcing our tourism offer, which is significantly influenced by the evolution of the COVID pandemic. Uh, in 2020, visitors had access to animation at the foot of the lighthouse, presented by our partner, the Site Historique Maritime de la Pointe-au-Père. But uh, whether the visit to the lighthouse is possible or not, visitors will be able to meet a guide at the foot of the lighthouse, uh, take some time to read several outdoor interpretation panels, and they will also have access to a picnic area with a magnificent view of the river. That sounds nice. I saw that the uh, Onondaga um, submarine, Onondaga submarine, is also on the site. Is, is that also open to visitors? Yes, it is open to visitors this year, and uh, it's the only submarine that can be visited in Canada. Wow! So when people visit the uh, the site there, what uh, other kinds of exhibits are there for people to see? Oh, they can see the temporary exhibition, uh, Bacon's Burning Bright, presented by the Musée Maritime du Québec. In the Lightkeeper's House, um, this exhibit takes the visitor on a new and really original tour of Quebec's coastal landscape. Um, the visitor can explore the history of Quebec's lighthouses through the lens of uh, talented photographer Patrick Matt, known in Quebec as the Lighthouse Hunter. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, Patrick Matt. Uh, I invite you to see his website. It's very, very interesting. And this exhibit also features authentic lighthouse lenses and scale models of many St. Lawrence River lighthouses. That sounds good. And I was reading on the website something about Parks Canada Explorers. That's spelled uh, X-P-L-O-R-E-R-S. What are the Parks Canada Explorers uh, all about? So uh, it's a program um, designed for young ages 6 to 12. Mainly it's a booklet that contains a, a range of fun activities that will take uh, you around the different points in Pointe-au-Pierre Lighthouse National Historic Site and 
all young explorers who have completed at least three of the booklet activities uh, before the end of their visit will get a surprise by presenting the booklet at their reception area. That's great. I'm really happy to hear you do that there. Some lighthouses in the U.S. have educational programs like that, and it's always uh, great to hear. We've got to keep the get the children interested, start them early so they maybe yeah. they, uh, appreciate lighthouses later on, maybe uh, help with the preservation and so forth. So that's really good to hear. Um, the, uh, the lighthouse at Pointe-au-Père is part of Quebec's lighthouse trail. Can you explain a bit about what the uh, lighthouse trail is? Yeah. Quebec has some 43 traditional lighthouses, the vast majority of which are located along the coastline or uh, on one of the Quebec maritime islands. Thanks to the efforts of enthusiasts who have transformed them or uh, their um, outbuildings into museums, some 20 of these lighthouses are now enjoying a second life. Uh, the Quebec Lighthouse Trail invites people to follow the lighthouse route, uh, whether to visit them when possible or simply to admire and admire and photograph them. Mm-hmm. The, the trail, which includes the, the Pointe au Lighthouse, can take up to 14 days to complete, including a three-hour ferry crossing from Rivière-du-Loup to Tadoussac. I understand there was some restoration done uh, on the Pointe au Lighthouse in 2017. Uh, what exactly happened? What was done at that time? Before that, First Canada started major renovation work in uh, 1980 to uh, strengthen the, the lighthouse, repair the lantern, and ensure the long-term conservation of the entire site. Mm-hmm. Um, all the loose uh, concrete and surfaces and bad repair were removed, and the whole tower encased a new metal mesh and covered in and out uh, with a shell of straight concrete. In mm-hmm. 2017, Renovation work included treating metal components, uh, replacing the lantern glass, and a lot, a lot of painting. I'm <laughs> but, sure. but you know, it's very important for us to keep these infrastructures in good condition because through those kind of investments, Parks Canada is protecting and conserving national treasures while contributing to growth in the tourism sector. So, yeah, it's very important. Oh, yeah. Are there any other additional restoration projects kind of uh, in the pipeline? Yes, we have several projects to conserve the Pointe au Lighthouse National Suicide, um, including a major analysis of how we will adapt to climate change uh, in order to preserve the site from shoreline erosion. Uh, the site is very close to the river, and each year it is more at risk of bad weather conditions. Uh, we are aware of this problem, and we really want to find a solution. Why do you think the Pointe au light station is important? Why does it need to be preserved? I think we must preserve the site for many reasons. First, the location of Pointe-au-Pas House was designated a uh, national historic site by the government of Canada in 1974, owing to its uh, historic role as the major pilot and light station for river and gulf navigation. I would add that um, the remaining buildings, which are all in good condition, bear witness a great improvement to navigation uh, in addition um, to the third lighthouse, the site also includes the lightskeeper's house, the assistant lightskeeper's house, a garage, and a skeleton tower with electronic uh, fog horn. Finally, the site is also home to numerous uh, archaeological remains, mainly in relation to the first two lighthouses and their house building. So I have one final question for you, and this is for bonus points. All right. So, uh, what has been your favorite part of managing the Pointe-au-Père National Historic Site? Good question. Um, I guess that 
what I like most about managing this historic site is that the the possibilities are endless. I mean, the site is stimulating, stepped in history, superbly located with a great taking view, obviously, of the river and the coast. Um, as we have a small team on the side, we have the opportunity to touch a little bit of everything to surpass ourselves. Um, there are always new developments, conservation projects, or events to be organized. So the work is very dynamic and nowhere routine. In short, the years follow one, one another and are never the same. Well, it sounds like a, a great place to, to live and, and work uh, around there. And uh, it sounds like a perfect perfect fit for you. So again, uh, congratulations on finding your, finding your dream job uh, again. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I think uh, it's a minority of people who ever, ever find that. So uh, Cindy LaRouche of the, uh, the Puente Père National Historic Site and uh, also the... Uh, the uh, Battle of the Restigouche Historic Site also. Uh, I really appreciate you spending this time with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you, too. Thanks again to Cindy LaRouche and everyone with Parks Canada. To read more about the Pointe-au-Père National Historic Site, you can visit their website. The address is a little long. The best way to find the website is to Google Pointe-au-Père National Historic Site. That's P-O-I-N-T-E dash A-U dash P-E-R-E. I just want to remind our listeners again that the transcript of the interview with Cindy LaRouche is available at news.uslhs.org, N-E-W-S.uslhs.org. Next week, we're going to have a two-part episode about the Potter Noster Lighthouse in Sweden, which has been converted into a small hotel and we'll also be discussing something that took place at the Lighthouse recently in conjunction with the film festival. It was a lot of fun to do the interviews, and I hope people will listen to that next month. So, Michelle, you're the chairperson of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses here on the New Hampshire seacoast. So what's happening with Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse this coming season? I would love to tell everyone what's coming up this season at Portsmouth Harbor Light, Jeremy. Well, we won't be doing our regular open houses each week throughout the summer, we will be offering some scheduled private tours beginning the Sunday before Memorial Day. And we'll take it from there and see how things go. But information will be posted on our website at PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org by the time people listen to this podcast. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, that sounds sounds like fun. And uh, I'm personally looking forward to helping with those tours, you and I. So uh, yeah, me too. You and I will be doing uh, probably a lot of them. Uh, it will be different for sure, different from our usual uh, open houses we've done for, for many years now, but uh, at least we'll be able to provide access for, for people, uh, people who make advanced reservations. So again, anybody who's thinking of coming to the New Hampshire Seacoast who wants to tour Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, be sure to check the website and make uh, arrangements, make a reservation before, before you come. And uh, doing these tours is certainly more than we could do last year when we canceled uh, all our open houses. Yeah, so it'll be great to see some, hopefully some familiar faces coming out to see the lighthouse that we all love. I couldn't agree more. So before we wrap up, we're going to try something different. I want to ask our listeners to grab a pen and piece of paper if they can. We're going to have a lighthouse quiz. We're going to ask 10 questions and we'll give you the answers at the end. So if you're listening somewhere where you're able to write down your answers, you can do that. Or if you can't write them down, just uh, think of the answers and then at the end, we'll see how you do. So uh, Michelle, what's the first question? Okay. 
Question number one. In what state is the oldest standing lighthouse tower in the United States located? Again, in what state is the oldest standing lighthouse tower in the U.S. located? Okay, here's question number two. What is the color or pattern painted on the exterior of a lighthouse called? Again, what is the color or pattern painted on the exterior of a lighthouse called? Question number three. What is the tallest lighthouse in the United States? Again, what is the tallest lighthouse in the United States? Question four. This is a hard one, I think. What is the only lighthouse in the United States with an elevator? Again, what is the only lighthouse in the United States with an elevator? Question five. What was the first lighthouse built on the west coast of the U.S.? Again, what was the first lighthouse built on the west coast of the U.S.? Question six. What is the oldest lighthouse on the Great Lakes? Again, question six, what is the oldest lighthouse on the Great Lakes? Question seven, who was the first lighthouse keeper on the North American continent? Again, number seven, who was the first lighthouse keeper on the North American continent? By the way, I just wanna say, people should not be Googling these answers, that's cheating. So question eight, this is an easy one. Which U.S. state has the most lighthouses? Again, which U.S. state has the most lighthouses? I mean, I would hope that uh, most uh, lighthouse buffs know the answer to that one. <laughs> question nine, what was the most expensive lighthouse ever built in the U.S.? Again, question nine, what was the most expensive lighthouse ever built in the U.S.? And question 10, what is the northernmost lighthouse in the continental United States? Again, what is the northernmost lighthouse in the continental United States? Okay, now we'll give the answers. Question number one, in what state is the oldest standing lighthouse tower in the U.S. located? The answer is, the answer is Sandy Hook Light in New Jersey at the entrance to New York Harbor. It was built in 1764. Boston Light, established in 1716, is the oldest light station in the country, but the original lighthouse tower was destroyed in the American Revolution, which makes Sandy Hook the oldest standing tower. Number two, what is the color or pattern painted on the exterior of a lighthouse called? The answer is the day mark. The day mark of a lighthouse helps mariners to recognize it during the day. Because the beaches of North Carolina have few distinguishing natural features, the lighthouses there are painted with very recognizable day marks to make it easier to tell them apart. That's why Cape Hatteras has black and white spiral stripes, Body Island has black and white horizontal bands, and Cape Lookout has a black and white checkerboard pattern. I never knew that that's what they were called. Mm -hmm. well, okay. You learn something every day. Yeah. Question three, what is the tallest lighthouse in the United States? The answer is Cape Hatteras in North Carolina. Different sources give slightly different heights, but the National Park Service says it's 198.49 feet from the ground to the tip of the lightning rod. The Statue of Liberty served as a lighthouse when it was first built, and it's 305 feet tall but it no longer serves as a lighthouse. Question four, what is the only lighthouse in the United States with an elevator? The answer is Sullivan's Island Light in South Carolina. The construction of the 140-foot tower was completed in 1962. It features an elevator as well as air conditioning, 
which ensures that the Coast Guard personnel who perform regular maintenance checks on the light can do so without having to endure excessive heat or a long climb. Question five, what was the first lighthouse built on the west coast of the U.S.? The answer is the lighthouse on Alcatraz Island in San Francisco Bay. The original lighthouse there was built in 1854, and it was replaced in 1909 by the 95-foot concrete tower that still stands next to the old prison. Question six, what is the oldest lighthouse on the Great Lakes? The answer is the Gibraltar Point Lighthouse, built in 1808 on the Toronto Islands in Toronto, Canada. But if you're talking about the American side only, the oldest lighthouse in continuous operation is Marble Headlight in Ohio, built in 1822. Question seven, who was the first lighthouse keeper on the North American continent? The answer is George Worthy Lake at Boston Light in Boston Harbor, Massachusetts. He became the keeper when the light went into operation in September, 1716 but he drowned along with his wife and daughter and three other people when their canoe capsized in November, 1718. Question eight, which U.S. state has the most lighthouses? The answer, of course, is Michigan. Depending on what source you believe, the state of Michigan has between 115 and 130 or so lighthouses. The state has about 3,200 miles of coastline. Question nine, what was the most expensive lighthouse ever built in the U.S.? The answer is St. George Reef near Crescent City, California. It took 10 years to construct and cost $715,000. It went into service in 1892. $715,000 in 1892 would be roughly equivalent to $20 million today. Question 10, what is the northernmost lighthouse in the continental United States? The answer is Cape Flattery Light on Tatouche Island at the entrance to the Strait of Juan de Fuca in Washington State. It's slightly north of Passage Island Light in Michigan on Lake Superior. So you're a teacher, Michelle. What do you think about this test? Was it, was it too difficult? No, there were a couple that I wasn't sure of, so, but I think you did a great job with the test, Jeremy, and I hope our listeners did as well. Yeah, and uh, people might be wondering if there's going to be a prize uh, for getting the right answers, but the answer is the prize is the satisfaction of knowing you got the, the answers right and or uh, the satisfaction of learning more about lighthouses. Exactly. So yeah, yep. that, those are the prizes. We want to remind everyone to check out the U.S. Lighthouse Society's website at uslhs.org to learn more about all the things the Society offers. And remember that donations to the U.S. Lighthouse Society support this podcast and all the Society's educational and preservation projects. Again, if you want to see the transcript of today's interview, go to news.uslhs.org. If you listen using Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. To everyone who works to preserve history, thanks for all you do. We're all on the same team. As always, thanks for listening and keep a good light. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Everywhere I go, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.